Gaming MBS episode 189 coming to you Wednesday, May 2nd, 2018. Welcome to Gaming and BS, tabletop RPG podcast, coming to you from Wisconsin. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back. Figured I'd bring a little energy. Sean seems down. Come on, Sean. Sorry, man. We, we can do this. Mina Frau was saying, yeah, but you're going to be doing something you love in like a few minutes. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I'm kind of in a funk, but this is... Gets me out of funks. Listening to me tell you how to do something. I mean, what else could make you feel better, Sean? Oh, well, <laughs> in that case, I should probably drop a list. <laughs> that's true. No. Uh, mm, no, that's, that's not true. Anyhow. Anyhow. So we've talked about this before. Gamehole Con submissions. Uh, open for event submissions there. I've got mine in. I know Sean's diligently working on his. I know that um mentioned this last episode. Let me double check my Kickstarter mojo. I'm hoping that the Kickstarter for the Queen City Conquest happens. As a done done or hey, we are as of the day as the day this drops, there'll be four days left. And they're close. They need nine grand. They're like go oh, almost eighty percent there. So I'm hoping that we, we get this done. Queen City Conquest, uh, consider it done. Done. Boom. Nine grand coming your way right now. Yeah, we're just digging in the old gaming BS coffers. Pull that out. <laughs> That's what we do. We fund cons. Anyway, I uh, mentioned it last time. If it's something that you can attend, if you're out in that area, it'd be awesome to see you there. Um, I'll be there. My wife, uh, lovely wife Susan, and my two little kids will be out there gaming, having fun. And uh, it'd be great to see people out there. And even if you can't go, if you've got, like, hey, throw them a buck, throw them five bucks just to help the gamers in that area do something cool, that'd be great, too. Obviously, no harm, no foul if it's not your thing, but want to throw it out there in case you're feeling like it's something you want to help. So, link in the old show notes, as usual. Yeah. Um, Sean, do we have anything else in the way of announcements? Anything new, cool, crazy going on? Oh, uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. No. Well, that's good. Yeah. We're usually yeah. more. We're usually more on top of it. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of something like, did I miss something? I don't think so. Okay, good. Well, then I guess we should move right on into it. Let's random encounter the sucker yeah. and uh, carry for Sally forth. I don't know if people know that's the sound of my basement door. Yes, it is actually the sound of Sean's basement door. No, it's not really. It's the, it's the dungeon that, There's five. that that Tam keeps him in when she lets him out to do the podcast and she puts him back in the hole. Five L's in the word gullible. <laughs> I'm going to have to look that up. I can't spell and You know that. Don't pick on me. <laughs> All right, Sean, you start. I start. You start. Email from Edwin Nagy. Hello, Brett and Sean. I just today listened to the episode that starting started being about multiple players trying to jump on a skill check and ended up being about skill checks in general and when to have them. As usual, you made it in your circuitous manner through Secure. most of the thoughts I've had on this question, and several I haven't. 
That's Securitas, by the Thank way. Thank you, Securitas. There you are. It, uh, it trips me up, but then when I hear it pronounced, I'm like, okay. Uh, a few thoughts in response. Securitas. Big words, that Edwin. Well, oh. he, is a, he is a teacher. I mean, he knows his shit, so. Is he a teacher? He, well, you know, yeah. He, I didn't know He knows that. his stuff, yeah. Quite professional, okay. Yeah. Hey, shout out to educators. Amen. I have used the house rule that each check has a harder DC, and I try to bring narrative into it. Messed up footprints, bent lock mechanisms, etc. I've also used the group check rules and the helping rules. I think you talked about all these. Depends on context. I have often used the skill check result as an indication of how long something takes or how destructive the searching slash investigating slash lock picking is rather um, than rather than whether it is successful. Sometimes this is combined with a question to the players about how long they want to spend. Uh, this brings some idea of consequence that is potentially more interesting than not finding the thing. I quote also from the Dungeon Master's Guide, multiple ability checks. Sometimes a character fails an ability check and wants to try again. In some cases, a character is free to do so. The only real cost is the time it takes. With enough attempts and enough time, a character should eventually succeed at the task. To speed things up, assume that a character spending 10 times the normal amount of time needed to complete a task automatically succeeds at that task. However, no amount of repeating the check allows a character to turn an impossible task into a successful one. That's from the DMG, yo. Seems like this would apply as well to multiple PCs. While I was checking the above, I happened upon passive perception again, a rule I typically don't use, excuse things too far in my opinion, and discovered two interesting things. The rules talk generically about passive skill checks beyond just perception, and they include the idea of advantage uh, disadvantage with a passive check. So a PC in combat or racing through a hall probably has a passive perception 5 worse than when not. That feels about right, and I might uh, get me using PP again. PP, passive perception. So far, so good, Brett. Yeah. So I, you know what, I really like. There's a phrase used there, or how destruct, destructive, destructful, destructive, the searching is, and he's saying, you know, that helps combine with a question to determine what kind of consequences. So if they're like, yeah, I just, I fucking toss the room. Right. Yeah. We just, we totally, you know, New Jersey we, gangster, this thing, man. We flip it. That's we FB, noisy. We, we FBI it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> totally that's noisy. And guess what? The Umber Hulks down the road go, "Hey, what's in there?" Trump, Trump, Trump. Or, "Hey, the guards over there come in with the guns." So, that's a good point. How are you doing a thing? Note that. Oh, you're being careless. Gotcha. Like it. One of my one of your writers in on a subsequent show mentioning having the DM role, an alternate which. One of my DMs does is, one of my alternate DMs does is having, does that, 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 There's another way people do it, Sean. Tell me all about it. Does, okay, so one of his DMs is having the player does this, rolls, the player rolls three dice, and the DM uses a roll to determine which one is the actual roll, or possibly if high or low is better. Frank does that, Metzner. 
Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's like, roll a die and then give me the result, and I will tell you. I will determine whether it's a high or low. Yes. This keeps dice in the player's hand but doesn't let them or her or him know whether or not uh, finding this. It, it, I cannot freaking read tonight. This keeps dice in the player's hand but doesn't let her or him know whether or not finding is because of dice Finding whatever it is they're searching for is because of dice or because there is nothing to find. Got it. I've also used the dice rolls to determine if something is there. I once added a secret door to a dungeon because a player rolled a 20 on a search and they really needed a way to escape. When I published it, the door stayed. Yeah. Going to talk about encounters. Building a count- That's one way, like, dynamically you talked about last week. Yeah, I like this. Speaking of secret doors, a door that isn't found or isn't used, possibly by the bad guys, doesn't exist. Ditto for any other secret. What's the point? Your overall conclusion is, I think, the important one. Only roll if there are at least two interesting outcomes. Or to put it differently, once you've made the player's roll, your job as DM is make the outcome interesting. Sometimes interesting is the tension that comes from a failed roll. Sometimes it is more active. Enjoying the shows and looking forward to seeing you at Game Hall. I haven't submitted yet, but have started thinking about what I might be running. Cheers, Edwin. That's good stuff. And if you get a chance to, if you're at a gaming convention, Edwin's there. He's a cool dude just all around. Had a chance to hang out with him last year at Game Hall Con. Just a lot of fun. So be great to have you there. And as always, Edwin, good stuff, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks. All right. So the other one in is from Todd Crapper. And uh, he was catching up on some episodes and posted over at G+. He said, after catching up in a long backlog of episodes, Todd, 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 man, stay current. Just stay current, Just, man. I mean, come on, man. Come on. You know. Dude, seriously. Well, well call, call in. Use some of that sick time. That's why you have sick time at work. Sick time. Call yeah. in and just get it done. Just sit home. <sighs> God, hey, <clears throat> boss, staying at home, catching up on podcasts. Yep. Wouldn't that be awesome just to use some of those reasons? Yeah, that would be awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome just to be completely honest and that you would be able to do it? Okay, today, um, it's nice out. I'm just going to go for a walk. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going to go record (laughs) stuff. All right. Okay. Todd Crapper. So, Todd. (laughs) So, hey, you're out. God, I hope hope you have to edit that. I'm sorry. So, Todd writes in. He's catching up on episodes. Damn it, take some sick time. Get caught up, Todd. Anyway. He said he's almost caught up to the last episode. Wait, another one dropped today. So close. Anyhow, he's listening to episode 186. Can I make a check, too? Reminded me of that dreaded crutch from my 3.5 days, the spot check. Holy crap. It's okay. I can use that word. <laughs> nice, Todd. <laughs> Did I ever fall on that? <laughs> As if my demon career depended on it. Want to find something out in the open that's 20 feet tall and consumed in flames? I probably had your roll for it. By the time I started to learn how to properly incorporate these kinds of perception checks into my game, it was a hard cycle to break, and my players were so used to rolling for every damn thing, I had to develop a new tactic. By the time 4E came around, I started using these kinds of perception rolls as fake random encounters. (laughs) I like that. Oh, I like what you're doing. If you stated something clear and concise, such as looking at a chest at the foot of the bed, you'd get it unless it was intentionally hidden. Passive perception covered the rest. If anyone wanted to make a roll and have another join in that just-in-case roll, I would use it to set up a possible combat encounter. Sometimes it was actual combat, but in many cases I would psych them out. The best one was actually in 5E's Lost Minds of Fandelver, 
When the PCs started making rolls like mad dogs to find something at the bottom of a murky lake in the mines. One of them makes a successful roll, and I start to describe something moving around the water, almost snake-like. Everyone pulls weapons and gets out ready to kick ass when the PC who made the check suddenly falls into the water. If you ever want to see a paladin whine like a young Luke Skywalker in a garbage compactor, it was that moment. Everyone's freaking out trying to find their friend while taking pot shots in the water, only to have the PC come back up and say, I, I tripped. False encounter. One of the players with military experience starts laughing out loud. I believe the kids call this LOL. And uh, talked about how this kind of thing was common in his unit. Your eyes play tricks on you and start to see things that aren't there because you're pumped full of adrenaline. Great time had by all, except the PC who got wet, but not everyone can have a great time all the time. Keep up the great work. Uh, what the hell? Sean was right about this one. About something. I don't know. Pick something. Tad, you are a gentleman and a scholar. If you want to be. Oh, absolutely. I, I, <laughs> I like the idea of, you know, you do something... That particular piece from if you've spent time in the woods or you've done it, you're looking, you're searching, your eyes will play tricks on you. You'll see, like, what was that? You catch yourself looking out of the corner of your eye, and you think you see movement, and it's nothing. Like, the dog's over here. What was that? I only have one dog. What's that other thing? And it's nothing. Just a flash or something. And uh, I love that. That's really cool. That was good stuff. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, Todd. Thank you. All right. It'll be maybe a few weeks before Todd hears this again. Yeah, because he's so damn far behind. <laughs> God. That's hilarious. Yeah, I'd kick him out of the club, but if we did that, we'd have, like, he and Edwin, we'd have no other listeners. No. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Let's get into the main topic, Brett. Let's go at it. <laughs> you ready? Brett? You are going to be talking about designing or bringing up or implementing or featuring an some, encounter. Some kind of an encounter. We made Sean do this last time. That's right. And we're going to see if I can do it. Time to put Brett through the ropes. Let's see how this goes. Because he's going to get into all this fluffy, fluffy crap. Like he doesn't plan shit and he does it all ad hoc. And Well, I do because I'm awesome. No. Uh, oh. So I'm going to let you guys in on, on uh, my secret when it comes Uh-oh. to that stuff. Secret? Yeah. So here's oh. my here's my secret for, and this is like my first first step in this. Step one. <clears throat> step one is setting and situation research. Whoa. Yeah. So my son asked me one time, my young guy, AJ, and even Connor's asked me this, my older boy. Hey, how the hell did you know to bring out a water weird just now? Why, how did you remember this creature? How did you know that this... Spell does this damage, and how do you know this thing for vampire or this for this other thing? And call Cthulhu. Wow, you you just knew that. And I said, yeah. They said, really? How? I said, because I read the hell out of those books. No, it's because you're old. That too. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, though, I told AJ. I said, if you want to be really good at being able to ad hoc use monsters, use yeah. a bunch of different ones, right, right? In multiple adventures, but read the monster manual. Go through it. And take some time when you and and do some check in. Brett, nobody's got time for that shit. Well, then you're gonna suck. I don't know what your problem. I, I mean, oh, I can't fix that. Fair. No, I'm kidding. That's that's fair. That's fair. Is that fair? That's, that's fair. So you don't have to read the whole damn thing. Oh, <laughs> excuse me. But if you're in, if I have a dungeon, for example, in D and D, and I'm going to have a dragon, it, it'd be a dragon. <laughs> Or I'm going to have it be a goblin. It's dungeons dungeon. and dragons. It's not dungeons and sewer workers. Nerd. Yeah, it's no, no. 
But if it's going to have uh, feature goblins, or it's going to feature orcs, or an ankeg, or I want to have an antlion in there, or an eskimoid, or something like that, I yes, have but but Brett, how do you determine what of those monsters you're going to use? So I have that plethora of crap in my head, and I refresh myself, thinking, hmm, what would be fun? Ah. What would be what would be a damn good time? What do I know that my <laughs> players haven't dealt with before? What would be a challenge to them? What would be new and interesting? Not only for them, but for myself. To take something I haven't done in a long time or take something old and make it new again. So I think if we crunch the data over 20 years, they should be able to use predictive analytics to determine what monster is going to be in the next encounter. They should be able to do that, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably not nearly as suave and smooth at this as I like to think I am. I just got to get some business intelligence and some data models and it should be a piece of cake. Yeah, it won't be that hard. We can sell this. It'll be great. All right. One of you one of you folks out there knows what the hell we're talking about. We would like to see that uh, done so that we could provide that to Brett's gaming group. Give him <laughs> a little uh, competitive advantage. A little leg up there. <clears throat> Excuse me, though. So the main is that if I'm running a spy game, obviously, ankegs, antlions, eskimoids, um, caterwauls, those things don't really m- matter. They don't – it doesn't work. But I make sure – that much like you were talking about, like with a military base, you know this. You understand what they're supposed to have, at least at a high level. I oftentimes will, <coughs> excuse me, when I'm going to run a new campaign, I'll think about you know what it's going to be like. I'll watch movies or books. I'll read up or I'll think about things that I, I like about that type of environment that I know. If it's something I've never done before, I do a little research on it. I understand the big chunks and plot points of it, which helps me later on when I want to be able to freewheel something. I have an idea of where the bumpers are. So do you think it's now this is kind of on the same topic, a little bit of a tangent, but do you think that some of us are not, I mean, and it may be you and I, it could be other folks. Do you think that we fall back upon what we know? Yes. Right. So Brett is hunter gatherer guy, more hunter than gatherer, but you, I mean, you're outdoors guy. Yeah. I like to be outside and do stuff like that. So you're going to know the outdoors. Yes, it's easier for me to describe, you know, that type of thing than it is. Well, then again, on the flip side, though, I live in an office building. Right, which is a dungeon. Which is essentially, <laughs> yeah, it is. It totally is. Um, and part of that is, so I guess if I get where you're going with this, you fall back on what you know. And that setting and situation research of like, hey, um, paying attention to the things around you. Like when you go into the gas station and there's going to be an encounter at a gas station. If you've paid any freaking attention to a gas station in your life, you know, or if you're in England, it's petrol, right? If you're there to get fuel for your vehicle, right? you've paid attention <clears throat> where the pumps are, what does it look like? Even if you've only seen one on TV, for God's sake, you, you've, you've seen this thing. So using all those things that you know and falling back on it is absolutely legitimate, and it really helps. And that's basically my <clears throat> the secret I use anyway to to do something ad hoc or something freewheeling is I fall back on a lot of different things I know. To make something old new then is you, you twist it or you mash it, right? This goblin is also, it's a goblin drider instead of a drow and a spider. I make it a goblin version of that. It's just different. It's two very similar things. I know what a drider is. I know what a goblin is. Pop, you know, pop the drow top off and put a goblin top on it. Hey, I got one of those. So that, so I do that research. So I have that stuff in my head. 
Sometimes I will make notes. If I'm at work and something hits me, I'll jot a note down or I'll email myself something like, hey, it would be really cool to use yellow musk creeper zombies. Done. I don't know why. It'll hit me in the middle of a meeting when I'm bored out of my fucking mind. Yellow musk creeper zombies. Done. Email myself. So when you talk about the monster that you kind of tweak, do you do you write that down? How do, how do you come up with what that is? Because some of us will be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But then what stats do I use? So I don't care about stats as much. Oh, what? Brett. I know. I know. Secret is out, folks. <laughs> it's like I'm making it up as I go. The jig is up, man. All those hit points, armor class, all that shit just doesn't exist. Brett's just bringing him up. Like, oh, magically you've done 100 damage. Weird. It's still standing. It's still standing. Amazing. How many else? So, uh, any of the party members down? No? Oh, it, yep. The monster's still, still standing. Going, still going. Oh, suddenly it's got a special attack that does a million points of damage to you. <laughs> I don't like you. No. So in the case of where I've said, hey, I want to use a drider, uh, but I want to put a goblin top on it, or hey, I want to do... I want to have this be a tricky door to get into the data center. Um, it's going to be tricky. It could be like a retinal scanner or maybe a hand. There's some kind of bio, bio scanner. Fine. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I know what it takes from a mechanics perspective to defeat that normally. Um, and I also know what the general hit points are for a drider, a goblin, a drow, blah, blah, blah. And I have a monster manual. I can reference it as a starting point. And then which one do you add, which one do you reference? Which one do you reference? I would use the drider, and then if I'm doing the drider with a goblin top, I would scale it back, because a goblin, is, in my opinion, would be weaker than a drow. So a goblin version of this would be a lesser version of a drider. I would look at it and probably go half hit points, make the armor class worse, you know, cut the damage by maybe a quarter or something. Sounds good. Let's go. So you're saying arbitrarily you would do that. Would you do that ahead of time or in the moment? I tend to do it in the moment. I will oftentimes, and when thinking about it like ahead of time, going, wow, it would be really cool to have goblin driders, gob riders, whatever the hell I want to call them. Gob, gob riders. <clears throat> gob spiders, whatever they're called. It's, Spider it's gobs. Droblins. Droblins. If that's Dro- what I'm, if, drobl- droblins. If that's what I'm going to do, that research I've done, you know, either from looking at it, I look at the drider, I go, oh, wow. Beforehand, I go, wow, yeah, yeah, well, fuck, that's way too powerful. But, all right, if I cut it in half, I know the power of the players. I know what magic items they have. I know what they can handle. This looks like an appropriate challenge, so I'll throw it at them. It sounds to me, Brett, that you're kind of, sort of, doing some game balance in that. That's that's where it starts. <laughs> And then in the middle of it, you're like, wow, that's not working. Jack up the hit points. Oh. <laughs> that's not working. Uh, you know what I took out? <laughs> that usually don't jack up the hit points, but. Got a magic resistance. Bam. In the middle of it, you're like, wow. Man, you know what? They, they need the poison bite, man. I got I to gotta bring the poison back. Ooh. Let's, let's bring back the poison. They haven't used it until now. Let's, let's say it's only once every four hours, you know, something. Hey, poison. <clears throat> but anyway, to, to the encounter design perspective, I've done my research. I know. Enough about the setting, the characters, what type of adventure this is about. And I want to say, hey, these types of things would be interesting. Um, given, uh, So this encounter would be interesting to do. Goblins on, to- goblins on top of spiders. No driders, they're gob riders or whatever the hell they're called. Great, got it. <sighs> the other piece for me then is when and where, when, where, and how do I 
implement this encounter. I don't often say it has to be in the third room in the dungeon or it has to be outside in the woods. I have the concept of the encounter, how these goblin spider mashups would attack them. Okay, maybe some poison, some webs, a trap of some kind. All right, that's, that's good. If I make physical notes, great. Otherwise, it's just in my head. And then I look at it and say, what would be fun? When would this be a good time to give this to the players to deal with? You know, And sometimes I have this ready to go, and it's two sessions later, then I get to pull it out. Sometimes oh, it's... Okay, so that's interesting. So you, you are not thinking of the adventure, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Like, that's like, okay, they're going to go in this direction, or they're going to this destination... Therefore, I'm going to come up with that goblin drider encounter. You you have the encounter in your head. You're keeping that in the back of your brain or on the notes. Mm-hmm. And then depending where the party is going, you at some point are going to implement that encounter. Yes, because it's interesting. I know it'll be interesting. It fits the in- it fits the environment. It fits the overall adventure. It fits the setting. I got to make sure it happens at the right time. Because if I just say, hey, I made this an encounter, so it has to happen next game session, um, that is, it's hard for me to do that because of how I'm used to my players operating, is that I could be like, yeah, as soon as they go through this section of the forest, they're going to encounter this. Sometimes you're like, fuck this forest thing, let's go back to town. we got to reconnoiter. So this is one way that I deal with, okay, the party decided not to do this. So I think of multiples multiples of these. (laughs) Either write them down and make notes or whatever, or just keep it in my head. So I've got multiple of these types of encounters. So if they choose to do something kind of wacky, I can pull out something different. Oh, something different. Yeah. So I was laughing and chuckling because I'm thinking, no encounter left behind. So you <laughs> yes, are, no encounter so, shall be unused. So, right. So you are creating the encounter, and you're like, all right, well, my plan is to drop it in and drop it on them in the forest. But if they say, well, screw the forest, you're going to be like, Wow, I'm going to still use that encounter. It's just not in the forest. Yeah, then they go to town, right. they talk to somebody, and they decide yeah. that the the old brewmaster's guild, it's haunted. Yeah. There's weird clacking, clicking sounds, and chanting. Hey, guess what's guess what's living there? Goblin Riders! Yay! Hey. Pick it up and move it. Um, <laughs> I know some people are like, that's the Quantum Ogre, and they, they hate that, and that's fine. Right. If you don't groove on it, that's cool, whatever. But that's what I do. If there are certain pieces, <coughs> excuse me, of this encounter, if I need to give away, if there's a clue or something somebody has to find, like, hey, this next session they're going in, I know for a fact, again, my research, I know for a fact that they're going to the library to talk to the librarian at the top of the session so they can find these clues. Great. You know, so that encounter is very simple. It's like you're going to go there, you're going to talk to a guy, and then we'll see if it's trail if it's trail of Cthulhu. As long as no one's a complete douchebag, it's pretty easy to say, "Hey, you've done your thing. You've role played. You spent your point. You can get the clue plus all the extra goodies." So that's that's good. But otherwise, the the other piece of it for me is that if I just say, "Well, it has to happen in the forest," and no one ever goes to the forest, I guess it's fine. If I can't figure out a way to put it in the brew house in town, or I can't put it in the dungeon somewhere else, then it does. All right, it gets it gets left behind, but I'll use it at another time. I have this idea. I've noted it down somewhere, or it's still just stuck in my head. I'll use it at another time. I won't. It doesn't get wasted. I have drug encounters out that I've used multiple times in ages past. Like you know, hey, you know what would be really good here? You know, 
the homeless guy who spills liquid on the character. Oh. And then the character goes, oh, my, I've talked about this in the show before. An ex-girlfriend I had back in college, homeless guy spilled water on her. Apologized, apologized, apologized. Next place she went, halfway through the session, two more people spilled water on her or liquid. And she's starting to freak the fuck out because her vampire character is like, what is this? Is this a weird sign? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So it was nothing. It was just one of those really shitty days when water fell on people. That's an <laughs> encounter. So I have some of those stock after doing it for years that I know work in certain situations. Out of there. Again, what would be fun? Am I going to throw somebody off their game a little bit if I'm going to use it to be a, a clue delivery mechanism? Is it simply to spice things up and give them upbeat of action because we've been kind of down and ninjas should kick in the door right now? So that's where I'm coming from. Does this make sense? Interesting, Brett. Does it make sense? I'm starting to look inside your head, and it's a little scary, but I think I'll be all right. It's just cluttered. It's full of shit. It's full of shit I've read over the years. Um, Who's hoarding in here? What the hell is this? So the other piece for me is I, I need it to be fun, not only for the players, but I think it would be fun for them. I do have a great deal of fun watching the players at the table have fun with the encounter. In my Iron Shoes story, uh, that, that session I've run a couple different cons now, when I run it, it's great to watch people have fun with it. It's really cool. When you throw the encounter at them and they act, you're like, oh, cool, they're having fun. This is great. Um, but I designed that so that it would be fun. It's an encounter It's an encounter that I want to watch. Mm. So that's another piece for me in designing it or thinking about how it will be implemented. If it's going to be boring as hell to watch, it probably probably will be boring as hell to play through. Does that make sense? Oh, that totally makes sense. How do you know it's, if it's going to be boring? So sometimes I don't, right? Mm-hmm. So you think, boy, this should work. This will be really cool. It's like stand-up comedy. Yeah, this you is. Know, you don't know if it's going to land. This is going to kill. It'll be great. <laughs> chirp, 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 chirp. <laughs> ah, shit. So <laughs> you're looking for the sound cue, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. No one cares about the goblin spiders. Wow, that's great. They <laughs> killed them all in one round. What a waste of my time. If an encounter that I've put together, I've done my research, I've, you know, I've said, hey, I'm going to put this somewhere. This will be fun to do. I look at it from a fun factor. I think this will be a good time. And if it turns out that it's not going very well, I can have the bad guys run away. I can have them give up. I can tweak or dynamically change it a little bit. If, if you go too crazy, like suddenly they went from, being complete pushovers to, you know, Tarasks in goblin form, that's a little overmuch. You can mess with a little bit. Or sometimes like, you know what? Not everything's a home run. Let it run its course. Move on to the next piece. Don't force the fun in the encounter. So if it's happening, I'm like, yeah, well, that one wasn't so good. Move on. But the other piece that I, I think about with some of these, I, I think I said it before, well, kind of with the water thing, that's kind of a standalone piece. It has nothing to do with anything else. So I, I tend to look at encounters that I want to throw at the party saying, is this connected to what they're after? You know, and they may be after five different things. Is it connected to something they're after? One of those five things, per se. Or is it completely standalone, not red herring, but is it standalone? It really doesn't matter, right? You come into town, the blacksmith's daughter has been kidnapped. Does that have anything to do with the fact that you're after the Red Wizard. Maybe not. You know. But I could put it out there. If I want to. Just to give it something to do. Does that make sense? 
It does make sense. Okay. So what happens when you run into, uh, well, you kind of touched on it. I was going to say, what happens when the characters don't bite? Depending what it is, like if it's, <laughs> the blacksmith's daughter's been kidnapped, it's a little more drastic. But if, right. if the player doesn't care about people spilling water, I'm going, fuck, it's just one of those nights, whatever, my vampire's wet tonight. Just stupid and annoying. Fuck it all. It just becomes a piece of comic relief. It becomes just something funny that's happening to them. That tee hee hee, this is happening to your character. Thank God it's not me because you know you don't have to deal with it. And or if the player's like, this is really annoying. It's not doing anything. They just cut it short. If it doesn't work, it just doesn't work. Um, Blacksmith's daughter being kidnapped is a little more. Either it's a red herring or it really should connect because that's almost like a that's a side quest. So see the side quest episode we talked about. But that's the other piece too is that if I put an encounter out there, I need to be prepared that if I make the encounter. Very, very interesting. If it turns out, if it's happening and it's working really well, after the encounter is over, and while I should say while it's happening and kind of as it's wrapping up, I then decide, do I need this to fit anywhere? Does it? Should it actually be part of something? I don't necessarily have to have that up front. But I can, I can sometimes I can retcon it and I can go, yeah, that has something to do with hunting the Red Wizard. Or I say, you know what? It has nothing to do with it. Move on. Got it. So I do a lot. It's it's kind of my approach is is I call it dynamic, and some people just say freewheeling or making shit up or whatever. Dynamic just makes me sound like I've got a plan, or makes me sound like I'm really better, really good at something. I don't know. So you are you are so um, when you sit down and you're gonna play and you got this down, you don't you may you may have notes, you may not. Correct. Nine times out of ten, I do not have notes. All right. And when you sit down. And kind of going with the flow, a lot of it is not by it's not by the book, right? You don't have so there, you you question me on that, like uh, you when you have this encounter, are you mapping everything out? Are you statting everything out? Do you have do you write it down so that you can present it to the group? Yep, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and you but you do it very freewheeling. Like you probably don't prep worth a shit. Not much. I, I do my best not to because I don't have as much time. I would rather spend my time paging through the monster manual saying, what would be a really cool creature right now? Yeah. And that's where my, my yellow musk creeper example, so I'll throw that out. <clears throat> my guys are in my Avalon setting. They're out in the wilderness for one of the first times. They're way out in the middle of the Outlands. They're having fun. They're in this dungeon. They're trying to figure out what this is. There's an ancient dwarven hole, right? So they're poking around. They come to this room, and there's these weird vines and a plant on the far side. And the plant seems to have creeper vines up the walls on the ceiling and hanging from the ceiling to the floor are all these skeletons and desiccated corpses hanging in them. And the, yeah. and the player's like, what the fuck is this? This is weird. So we got trapped there. We got to be careful. It's a yellow musk creeper and yellow musk creeper zombies, which is from the Fiend Folio first edition. Oh, I think they're still out there. It's a weird ass creature. I've, I never had a chance to use it before, but I'm like, this will be fun. I've Fiend never Folio. used it. Fiend Folio is a great tome yeah i've never used this before it's going to be fun and i made it like it was this crazy ass thing and it became (laughs) there were no stats to do what i wanted right there's the 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 plant itself and how it could kind of control things i made it kind of a puppet mastery a quasi brain at the core of the plants once they figured it out they could go kill it 
And I do look at many problems I present to my players is like, here's a problem. I do right. not honestly know how the hell you're going to solve it. And you've talked about this too. I have no idea how you're going to get past this. I hope you figure it out. And this will be fun to watch. It should be fun to participate <laughs> in too, because there's activity, there's stuff going on and everything you're doing. If it's interesting, if it sounds really cool and the, it's kind of the rule of cool in a way is like, I take my spear and I, you know, throw it across the room and I want to try to stab the plant. And I'm like, so roll the hit. When he misses, I say the tendril from the ceiling comes down and they grab onto the spear and they slow it down just before it hits the heart of the plant. God damn, we got to get up there. Then they start hacking and working their way up. So that, I'm like, I've never used a yellow musk creeper. I did the same thing with a caterwaul, which is another bizarre creature of the fiend folio, which has this funky sprinting capability and this weird yowling sound it makes. It's a cat monster. It's a big, nasty cat monster. <laughs> it just it freaked the party out because they didn't know what it was. It was something new and different that you'd read about but you'd never seen. So instead of, I told you that story, i tell you this one. In order to minimize my prep, I'd rather research that stuff. I tend to have a good memory for those things. So I know my buddy Lenny and other people I know, they cannot do this simply because their brain doesn't work that way. It doesn't mean my way is better. Lenny runs an amazingly good game. He spends a lot more time prepping because that's what he needs to run an amazingly sure. good game. So kudos to him. It's awesome. I don't do that because when I go too far in, it gets in my way. I start worrying that, oh, I'm not true. Oh, I wrote down this really cool idea. Oh, I didn't get the cool idea. And I feel bad. My fun my fun factor starts to drop. and Or I start shoehorning in stuff that I wrote down because I'm like, God damn it. I wrote this down. It's going to happen. That's part of yeah, speaking of looking in Brett's head, that's just a thing in how I behave when I have something like that in front of me. So, so more dynamic lets me get away without having to do it. Sorry. My my guess is a lot of people are probably similar to Lenny. I think many, I, many, I don't know if it's many or not. I've talked to a number of different people who seem to do. Or maybe not. What I mean, you're not. Well, no, that's true. But I do, I mean, I like to kind of lean on pre-published adventures too. So That's fair. I think it would almost be not that we're putting Lenny on the spot and saying, well, this is kind of the standard, but um, I would probably lean to more towards that. I mean, what, how do you, oh man, how do you, so we've kind of covered social and, or not social, an encounter monster, you, yep. a monster kind of inspires you to use the creature and, mm-hmm. It's interesting, like the room that you mentioned and the the plants and the vines, and just putting that in there, and not knowing how how the group is going to tackle that. And I think sometimes this is just me speculating, but sometimes even as a player, there's a way to tackle that encounter. You think there's and a way to win? There's a way to win. There's a way to defeat it. And there may be multiple ways to do it. And I think there's some game masters that may write it down and say, well, in order to get through this room, this is what they're going to have to do. Yes. I'm positive. I'm positive some folks do that. If nothing else, I know some old school type of men and women, if you read some of the old modules, yep, it, you know, teachers say, student do, right? You You read that thing and then you build based off of what you run. And if the adventures, the pre-published things that you're reading and where you're getting your research from 
tells you, hey, this keypad, in order for the vampires to bypass this, to get into this hold, to get at what they need to in my World of Darkness game, they need to get either a keypad to get, you know, a key card to get by it, now or you're using it. my sh- Now you're using my shit. <clears throat> oh, oh, yeah, totally. I mean, so you, right. I, I could do that, or I could just say it's locked and, there's, and there's a magnetic strip on it. What do you want to do? And I have right. no clue. And I could have those in my head going, yeah, they could do one of those two. And somebody says, fuck it, I get a blowtorch. I'm like, never <laughs> thought about cutting through the steel door. Yeah, sure, why not? You get a, somebody, because, like, hey, two, do- two doors down, dude, there's a mechanical shop. Do they have a plasma cutter? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Watch right. the hall. And they just start cutting. Yeah. That's, vi- that's le- in my opinion, I'm like, that's legit. To what Edwin said earlier in the you know, feedback, if that's loud, it's noisy, it's flashy, bad shit may occur. But hey, why not? And I think that one of the points that we're trying to make a little bit mm-hmm. is that it's okay not to have the definitive answer as a game master. Agreed. I think if you think of it as collaborative, and I know some people, um, it's, and I don't even, I don't even want to. Oh, it's story gamer or it's this gamer or whatever. And just throw that shit out for now and just say right. it's a collaborative event, gaming. However you look at it, it's collaborative. It's me as game master, you as players, or all of us together. However you want to define ourselves, and it's my job to pose the question. How are you going to get past the seemingly impassable door? You've not done any preparation. You didn't even know this door was here. And there it is, locked and warded. What do the wards do? You don't know. Okay. Everybody says, um, fuck it. You have a hand axe, right? Yeah. We're going to back up 60 feet, chuck that axe at it, and see what happens. Why 60 feet? Well, the mage in the group knows a fireball has about this effect, so we're going to back up and split up because we think that's a good way to go. All right, guys. Throw an axe. This happens. Oh, wow, and now they learned a thing. I have no idea how they're going to find this stuff out. Right. And by leading, by throwing the problem to the players, throwing the situation at them that I think would be fun to watch them fix or get past, <laughs> you right. know, then let them go. Sometime, and then just feed off of that and r- work with it. And I can't do that if I haven't done my pre-reading and my research. And it, some of this comes from I started gaming in third grade. I'm 45 now. I have this many years in it, and it may take you, depending who you are and how you get there, if you want to do do it the way I do it, my path would be spend a lot of time reading stuff, spend a lot, of, lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of hours running games, remember or note or however you have to what worked, and then bring it back. So I remember shit that worked from my high school games that I will pull out periodically in a D&D game. I remember stuff that worked in my vampire games that I ran for 15 years. I reskin it, and it's in a Call of Cthulhu game. Because that encounter, the way it was structured and what worked in it, is portable. I can take it and put it in a Star Wars game if I wanted to. I just had to file the serial numbers off. So I lean a lot on my own experience, um, having run stuff and reading tables and so on. And I don't know if that... <laughs> Somebody, a newer DM is probably like, that's that's great, Brett, you asshole. I don't have right. 20 years of experience doing it. That's fair. I mean, that's that may be something somebody's thinking like, come on, man, you've been doing this for a long time. That's great you're pulling this shit out of your ass. I can't do that. I just started last week. I think the cool part, if you want to, 
start, like I said at the beginning, my secret is this, the setting research and situation research. Um, you, you have to consume media. You have to in some way, shape, or form. If it's you like watching movies about the genre, we've talked about this for genre emulation in the past. If you want to get better at spy movies, you should probably watch, or excuse me, spy genre emulation. That's very 007-y. Pick your flavor of 007 and go at it and watch some movies. If that's how you like to spend your time, fine. I like to read. I like to buy, I like to buy obscene amounts of uh, PDFs for gaming manuals and buy monster manuals randomly. I go to conventions and buy shit that I think looks cool. Read it and say, I'm going to use this piece from Chapter 5, page 54 in a game at some point. This is fucking cool. That's what I do. If the way for you to have a mental Rolodex instead of having Brett's brain and how I have a mental Rolodex, if your way is notes on a piece of paper, if it is a searchable database, if it is a spreadsheet, you can do Control-F, Monster, if you can sort it, if it's a Word document, whatever that tool is for you, as you do that research, make those notes and keep them handy. If that's your DM binder, your Game Master binder that you always have with you, so when you sit down and goes, wow, she's an amazing Game Master, how the hell does she do that? It doesn't matter if you make it up off your head where the Rolodex is, or if you sit back and say, hey, my Rolodex is right here on my desk. It really doesn't matter. Right? So my advice to do what I do is to spend my prep time is, like I said, looking at the situation, settings, monsters, that type of thing. But also don't forget, I know what my I know my players. I'm very fortunate, right? I've played with the same guys for a very long time. But even at gaming conventions, I'm running pre-gen characters. I know those characters. I know what they're capable of. And when I make... I started pulling a, pulling this piece out of some of the indie game stuff. Kevin and I have talked about this. Kevin Lovecraft. Even when I'm running 5e now, tell me when we're done with Session Zero or through that process, I am actively engaged with my players saying, Sean, your character, does he have a funny accent or something? Yes, he does for Trail of Cthulhu. Yep. He speaks a little bit different. Really? Where is he professor at? And I take notes. He knows a guy. He's in love with this person. His wife is dead. Oh, she's a you know, she's a doctor here. She's struggling to she's struggling to get a promotion. I write those things down because that's new stuff that I've never thought of the players have got to give me. And part of my research prep is going back to that session zero notepad that says, This was a thing. That Sean and Eileen said that their characters were both really into. You know what would be really cool is a yellow musk creeper zombie. Why? Because they're into this type of thing. You know, this would be cool for them to deal with. Um, so knowing all those pieces and parts, my way to organize that is in my head, sometimes on my paper, through notes and things I've jotted down through the game. But I know some people may have to do more physical preparation, and that's totally fine and absolutely legit. I've played with people who do it my way. I've played with people who do it hardcore, physically write everything down, and both games have been awesome. So I don't find any one way superior to the other. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So I think the the main thing for me is the research up front, and yep. because I remember it, it's in my head or wrote it down. And I do honestly, fun is a big reason why I game, and I hope, it's a reason why you're gaming, whoever, whoever the listener is. I hope that's a reason why you're gaming. It's a good time. 
So if you think about things, I often look at it and go, would this be fun to deal with in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, this would be great. The session goes, I'm like, tonight's a really shitty time to introduce this piece of fun because nobody would care about it. This is a really good bit of fun, but it has nothing to do with this evening's shenanigans. All right, pull it out. So again, this is just an encounter versus like a whole plethora of them or whatever. It's also very important that we stress that our answers are not the be all answers. Oh, hell no. And you, as game masters, and I think we're really targeting folks that have some reservations or uh, some may want to tweak how they approach certain things. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're over planning. Maybe they're like, I have, I don't have enough time. Or maybe they're under planning. You know, they show up and they don't have the data. Or maybe, you know, or maybe they're under planning. But nonetheless, you're going to find a balance, hopefully. But I think sometimes, you know, what whatever that looks like, I guess. There's a thing. Uh, that's the that's the lesson of all this crap. It really is, and the the yeah. thing that Matt Colville mentioned this mentions this in one of his YouTube episodes, and you know, kind of jovially, he says, you know, I'm giving you permission to do this, right? And it's not that. You need Brother Sean's or anybody's permission to do anything. But understanding how somebody else thinks and how they approach something, again, all this 188 episodes, 189, this one, of just ideas and thoughts is to get you saying, hey, here's a different way to do it. If you find that you've listened to this and you're like, this is, I couldn't possibly do that. It has nothing to do with what I do. Fine. The other thing that I think is very important for game masters and players to realize when you're playing with a game master or you're game mastering yourself or even when you're a new player, we've talked about this in our player series a little bit, it takes practice to do this well. Regardless of how you're going to prep, regardless of how you're going to run, I have yet to find any game system that I've read their formula or their approach or listened to anybody else's approach and said that right there. If I followed that soup to nuts from beginning to end, I could run the best goddamn encounters ever. I don't believe that exists because I'm not you. I don't know your table. Sean's not you. He doesn't know your table. That's right. You've got to put the time in you, behind the screen, in front of the screen. I encourage game masters, and Sean has too. You play. Incur if you get a chance to go to a convention, it's a great place to go to play. Run for players you've never gamed with before. Play with new game masters with different styles. Everybody who goes to a con has a horror story about a game and everyone who goes to a con has an amazing story about a game yes. and my hope for all of you gamers out there is that you've got more amazings than horrors but the point is is you've got to put the time in table time whatever it is I, if you want to master for yourself online gaming you have to game online you want to master a certain type of preparation style you got to live it learn it love it breathe it and do it you've got to do it do it exactly anyway I hope this was helpful, and no one thought we were completely crazy. Well, excellent, Brett. Thanks for sharing some insight into the brain that is Brett. Yeah. I'm sure somebody, I'm sure somebody listened. And went that guy's an idiot. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I would play with Brett, and I'd hate it. That's totally that's probable. True. That's that's probably true. There may be somebody out there that's like, I have, man, you and I, I both freaking. You and I've talked about this. We both yeah. gamed with people like. Some people love this person. I can't stand him. Yeah. Boy, I've gamed with him. He's terrible. Yeah. I gamed with her. That was no good. Oh, my yeah. God. And other people are like, oh, my God, best game master ever. Yep. 
that's again why I can't. I don't think it's possible to write the how to be good game master A to Z ain't gonna happen. Anyway, I think there's I think there's some things that people can maybe grab and you know maybe you know nuggets that they want to incorporate that may help them. But yeah, it, everybody's got their own kind of little different tastes and different preferences. And so. I do things differently enough than you do. We had some very similar yeah. spots from listening right. to. See, we listened to you last week to to now. We've got some very similar components, but it's by by no means, in my opinion, anyway, the same. I'm right. doing it my way versus your way. So, right, mine's the right way. Brett's is. You I, know, I mean, I don't mind you being right as long as I'm superior. So let's well, move on. Okay, then there we go. <laughs> Leave it at that. All right, die roll, Brettster. Yeah, I've got one. Arc Dream Publishing put is putting out a deluxe King and Yellow annotated edition. I got a link in the show notes. I posted this on Google Plus as well. It's a wonderful looking hardback. Um, once they hit 300 pre-orders, um, it's going to go out there. So it's really cool. We've got it's uh, the King in Yellow Robert W. Chambers book that's inspired this the whole King in Yellow portion of the Cthulhu Mythos pieces. It's really cool. We've got um, Dennis Detweiler, Shane Ivey. Um, Good God. Uh, Ken Height doing stuff in here. It's really cool. And I, of course, tell you this because I want one, and I've pre-ordered, so I want the other 126 people to get in and do it so I can get my damn book. Selfish plug. Please go buy this book. I want mine. There you go. But anyway, it's cool. Over to you. All right. So augmented – so mine are both Kickstarters. So if you're not in the Kickstarters, plug yours. Uh, augmented Reality and Dragons Kickstarter ends May 24th, 2018. Uh, interesting. It, they tie these little uh, cards, like little, you know, two by two cardboard, and they would throw them out, and somehow it's tied to the app, and it renders a augmented reality creature. Pretty freaking cool. It looked. I took they got a, a long ways to go. I took a brief look at them, like that's interesting. I mean, my buddy Alpha's got like a projector going on. The game table, and we got some, and I got surround sound in his basement with sound effects we could do. And but this, this is a whole level of wow, man! Three D printing, augmented reality, virtual reality. You know, it's we could take it can still be pen, paper, and dice, but some of these things can really be interesting. It's when when you hear the term augmented reality, I think of augmented gaming. Right? What can I do quickly and easily? To make it more cool, more right. fun. This is yeah. and this might be one of those things. It's kind of cool. Uh, the second one, Roll for Guild, buddies of ours from here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, they've got, you know, they're they're trying to create a good online tool. People can find groups. They have their Kickstarter out there. Uh, May 29th or 25th, I'm sorry, is their target date. So if you get it after the fact, it's either funded or it hasn't. Ben, but check those guys out. Um, I know they want to get on the show and talk about a little bit about. We may have them on the show to talk about encounters or finding groups. Who knows? Yeah, no, it's but, some of this stuff we want to get. So some people have asked us about guests and stuff. We got that through some of our feedback, and some yeah. of it it comes down to scheduling and timing. It it can be hard. Sean and I tend to record on Sunday nights, and some people are like, oh, I'd love to get on your show. I'm only available Wednesdays at noon. Like, oh, my God, I'm working, dude. <laughs> you know, it, it happens. Schedules can be hard. But anyway, I think these guys and, might be a good good call. 
Yeah, and I mentioned to these guys too, and and they they support the show a little bit too, and so um, check them out for some of the things that they're they're looking at. I mentioned something about you know if I was a game master and I wanted to find a group, one of the things the group may want to know is what type of game master I am, and I know we brought this up way early on about the game master badges that say say you know I'm heavy story, I'm rules light and then there's certain icons and i apologize for not giving the person the proper credit that put this out there um i'll have to locate that but they they kind of made it a, a bad like you would just take these badges and put it under your profile oh very cool go, yeah so i brought that up to them and they're they're you know i don't know if i don't know maybe it's copying or i don't know but anyways i think that's good you know, i mean do you rate the dms and gms on there i don't know but Anyways, check them out. They're trying to be very creative and innovative and um, create an online portal, especially around finding groups and finding people to play with. Very cool. Yeah. So What else have we got? Oh, listeners. Oh, my God. Andy yeah. Hall beat me to this one. Ancient Peruvian Sacrifices. So if you listen to the show, this is one of those weird things. Ancient Peruvian Empire sacrificed 140 children, according to this archaeological report. So... Holy crap. Like, apart from the ha-ha dead babies in Brett's games joke, talk about fucking vile. I mean, this is one of those things I, I peruse the article and I'm like, man, this is Call of Cthulhu fodder, horror game fodder. You pick this up, plant it somewhere, you want a depraved portion of a civilization or something, you, you take this and you chuck it in and you suddenly have an enemy, absolutely, that your player characters are going to go after. So... Anyway, Andy, thank you. You beat me to the punch on this on this link here, but good stuff, man. Uh, second one from listeners, Kevin Lovecraft points out Zone Rouge, uh, or I don't know if Zone is pronounced Zone in French, but it's Zone Rouge. Most chilling abandoned places in the world, or place in the world, is France's Red Zone. It's posted on Twitter by at Paul M. Co- Paul M. M. Cooper. We're talking about unexploded shells laying in the mud, right? So just as a, a Verdun alone, 14 million shells were fired. We're talking about artillery stuff. Sean knows how big these fucking shells are. Oh, yeah, I do. I, I was in artillery. Exactly. Ex- right experiments. Just want to throw this out. Experiments conducted in 2005 discovered 300 shells for every 10,000 square meters. This is like this is back in mustard gas, World War One crazy holy shit the pictures in the link here are just are phenomenal it's it's wild so when we would train and some of you guys miss listening maybe veterans and have spent some time in germany but there's a couple of training grounds in germany where you know and whenever you went to training and went to to do field exercises there's always a safety briefing and when you go to these training areas and they give you a safety briefing it's always if you come across a a an explosive of some kind or some shell or uh, ammunition, you know, it's, you leave it alone and you tell somebody, usually it's one of the, yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I had a friend of mine who did, who went to school, he got his, he's got his degree in archaeology at Fort McCoy in Wisconsin. He was there doing work because Fort McCoy was expanding. And when you build roads and stuff, you often send archaeologists in first. Are there any Native American burial, this, that, and the other thing. And they would have to go through ordinance training because you're on a military base. 
And the standard is when you see this side of the sign, this is warning, don't go past here. If you see this back side of the sign, run till you find this side. <clears throat> the other piece they found out was that depending on the year when some of the dummy rounds and things were used, some of the paint from the dummy rounds would fade to look like live rounds. And some mm. of the live rounds would fade to look like dummy rounds. Right. <laughs> so they're like, don't touch shit. <laughs> right. yeah. There are literally landmines out there, people. Do not fucking touch them. Anyway. So they yep, so they would say, just leave the ordinance alone and, and let somebody know so they could come over and they could tag it or whatever they need to or map it out. But yeah, man, it's... Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, that shit doesn't go away unless somebody comes across it and maybe it's been buried for a while and all of a sudden erosion has divulged it to the world and you happen to come across it because you're a lonely 19-year-old private doing the maneuvers in Hohensfell or Grafenveer. So for God's sakes, don't pick up that shit. Yeah, don't tap with that shit. But anyways, that's that's not a big surprise, but it's interesting uh, you know, how they've abandoned that. Not to mention landmines. I mean, I can't. landmines are a big... It's still a big deal in like um, international areas that you know. There's, I mean, there's movements of trying to rid those lands. And the guy went to high school with his father, um, wealthy man, and his mom built uh, have a. Um, it's it, it, God, I can't remember. It's a it's a group that does that. They basically are going yeah, foundation. Out. It's a found, Thank you, foundation is a phrase yeah. that. It targets landmine use and why it should be banned and so on. So it's yeah, and they there's movements to help kids and families that have encountered yes. those in third world countries and first world countries that have encountered that. Yeah, they're they're pretty bad news. Um, okay, well, with that note, what are we talking about next week, Brett? Well, Sean, do we have? Are we going to do what we talked about off mics? Yes. yes. Yeah. So what yeah. what are we talking about? We're going to be talking about True Dungeon. Yeah, True Dungeon. So True Dungeon comes to GameholeCon, has last year. Alex Kammer is involved heavily with True Dungeon. And we were talking with Alex about, you know, GameholeCon and so on, because guess what? We're, you know, we're pimps for our local love, and we want to know more about it. And he's like, hey, I know a guy. Here's some people at True Dungeon. Now, I know Joe Swick, friend of the show, has done True Dungeon. I know other people that I met at GameholeCon are like, oh, it's fun. You should do it. It's totally a good time. Neither Sean nor I have done True Dungeon. No. I have only understand myth and rumor about what it is. I'm gonna do Sean and I'll do a little bit of research, try to figure ourselves out. But what I'm hoping we can figure out is just what the hell is this all about? Why is it such a damn good time? So it's gonna be about True Dungeon. And we're gonna have Jeff Martin. Yes, Jeff Martin. Thank you. I, I, I totally Martin. forgot to drop the name. Thank you for saying Jeff. so. Jeff is the brains and the creativity behind True Dungeon. And if you've been to Gen Con, uh, you've probably been through True Dungeon. You've heard of True Dungeon. Or you've been to Gen Con, you've circumvented the propaganda that is True Dungeon. And after our show, you will know about True Dungeon. That's the plan. That's the plan. Yeah. Well, excellent. That's, uh, that's all I got. What about you, Brad? I think we're good, man. Let's wrap this sucker. All right, so this has been another episode of Gaming NBS. I am one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, 
Remy Bellado, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Not Caprio, Pierre Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finnoff, Merkel Froelich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Kyle Winter, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, John Hammersley, The Closet Gamer, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glayman, Sky, Roger Braslett, Evan Harrison, Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skeins, The Knights of the Night Crew, Josh Wallace, Corey Welch, Eli Kurtz, Pateri, Turtianian, Edwin Nagy, Bruce Cunnington, Aaron Coleman, Tim Shorts, Dr- Stefan Dragonspawn, Aonagus, Roll for Guild, Gord Cranford, Eric Salzwedo, Trezzy, George Sedgwick, Kevin Lovecraft, Matt Cyberlick, and Jack Neller. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingmbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers. This This has has been been a Litterbox Studio production. production.